Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fear less, diabetes late night. Uh, sweet baby, let's roll the dice on love. Roll the dice, come roll the dice, roll the dice, come roll the dice, roll the dice, come roll the dice. Jay O'Gray, 
Janice Rosler, Mama Rosemarie, and Diabetes Podcast Week founder, Stacey Sims. Now take a minute to donate either to the Sparrow Rose campaign or to Divabetic using our PayPal link on our website at divabetic.org. Thank you in advance for your tax-deductible contributions. And please, once again, let's pass on the roses this year and instead save the life of a child through the inter- the um, lifeforachildusa.org website. Our next song, Tim McGraw paints a striking image of two lovers lost in the beauty of a countryside. Now that's a Valentine's Day uh, image. Here is Country Lullaby, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. There's just something about horses That can touch you deep down in your soul Girl, look and go Makes you want to just throw off your cares and your troubles Go somewhere no one's ever gone before Well, you and me can do that tonight And let the beat of our hearts go flying Underneath that Milky Way ceiling If you want to saddle up this feeling Baby, let's ride that wild wind blowing Let it kiss you some stars out of the sky Get carried away like some deep rim rolling Tonight I want to be your cowboy Late Night, I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and all night long we're playing the rest of our life, uh, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's new duet album, courtesy of Sony Music. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow, and that always reminds me of Radio City Music Hall and working backstage on Luther Vandross uh, concerts. That was one of his annual uh, traditions, was to perform at Radio City Music Hall on Valentine's Day. Now, if you're a Luther fan, why don't you join me for our inaugural Vandross Festival on Saturday, May 12th at the SVA Theater in New York City. We're celebrating Luther's musical legacy as well as raising awareness for diabetes. All year long, though, we're going to be focusing on mindfulness on this podcast and how it could help improve your diabetes management. Mindfulness is an attitude um, is an attitude to, that could help you be more open and compassionate and self-aware. It involves a deliberate mindset shift from autopilot and negative judgy thoughts to allow you to be more present and connected to whatever is happening right now in your life. In the spirit of Cupid, I thought, why not focus a little bit on how mindfulness could affect your relationship? seems pretty clear to me that the more mindful we are, the, more, uh, the better chance we have of creating a healthy relationship with our partners. And guess what? Research is supporting me, probably for the very first time. According to the Journal of Human Sciences and Extension, higher levels of mindfulness can help have a happier, more satisfying relationship. One way you could use mindfulness to improve your relationship is to become more understanding of your spouse or partner's perspectives and the emotions they may feel uh, they, they may be feeling. If we approach our partners with compassion rather than anger and desire to control them, the conversation flows in a more positive direction. Well, later on, I'll be talking to the amazing Janice Rosler, who's a certified diabetes educator and licensed marriage and family therapist about different ways how uh, different ways that diabetes can affect your relationship plus 
our guest, J.O. Gray, is going to share her Valentine's story about how her husband, author of Walking uh, with Petey, Erica Gray's diabetes health transformation inspired her to lose considerable amount of weight and how these two high school sweethearts reunited after several years apart. And now they're living their best diabetes lives. But straight ahead, poet Lorraine Brooks is going to check in with me about how we say I love you and how that could affect your diabetes care. Right now, though, the writers behind Little Big Town's Girl Crush, Laura McNenna and Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay, provide Tim and Faith with the steamy, the bed we made, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen to this song. Let's go make a mess Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. I actually met our musical inspirations. I was backstage at the Washington concert in 1996. It was Christmas in Washington concert in 1996, working with Luther Vandross, and Faith Hill was on the bill along with CeCe Winans, and uh, she was wonderful, and she brought Tim McGraw into the dressing room, and we had a good time laughing, and they're just lovely people inside and out. So I think that's kind of a, a fun treat for you to know for Valentine's Day. But even more than that, the spectacular Lorraine Brooks is back with us tonight. So please, this is more exciting than Tim, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill to be talking to her. Welcome, Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Thank you, Max. Hi, how are you? Happy Valentine's Day. Happy early Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. Uh, you I can't know, believe you think I'm. I can't believe you think I'm more exciting than Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'll get to see you later on uh, this year in June when we we present the Diabetes um, Diabetes Alert Dog Fashion Show at Central yes. Park Market in Mosaic, um, Virginia. And we're also mm-hmm. going to be adding glaucoma, free glaucoma screenings to that event, plus a diabetes food tour of the Central Farm Market. All that's available on our website. Wonderful. I will be there. And now hopefully you're going to read some of your poetry because, you know, Lorraine, every month we talk about language. And earlier today I posted a graphic on our Facebook page uh, giving healthcare providers options for neutral, non-judgment language that can empower people with diabetes. And I think some of it could actually apply to partners and other relationships we have in, in our lives, not just with our healthcare providers. So I want to take a minute and go over a couple of things with you and get your feedback as our poet in residence on how you think the language uh, can either positively or negatively affect someone with diabetes. You know, I saw your post and I loved it. I loved all of the points it was making because you and I have talked about this before that, you know, it's so important how you talk to people and the language that you use and you may not want or mean to be judgmental, but sometimes it, it sounds that way to the person who's hearing it or who's receiving it. And this this graphic that you put up I thought was just absolutely spot on, especially the one that talks about control as a verb or adjective, um, that you should use the word manage instead. 
Um, and even what it said is the explanation. Control is virtually impossible to achieve in a disease where the body no longer does what it's supposed to do. So it's preferable to focus on what the person is doing well and, and intent. And I, that just rang so true uh, to me because, um, you know, indeed, your body isn't doing what it is what you expect it to do or what it's supposed to do, and you don't have any control over that. You only have control over you and how you respond to it and how you react to it. So I, I just thought that was absolutely perfect. Do you feel like um, you're – do you think sometimes you're saying that, you, that people with, like yourself are thinking more about how can I control my diabetes, or do you feel like more people are telling using the word control to you? I'm just curious because I know a lot of times um, we talked about our inner conversations and how they can affect yeah. our health as well. Um, I, I, well, you know, I think it's both. I think when people say control to you or say control to me, that you know, I internalize that. And so if somebody tells me, well, you, you know, your 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 control is not good, or you're you're um, you're out of control. Um, you know, I, I do kind of. It, it makes me uncomfortable, and I I do agree that manage is a better word because it doesn't put the onus on you to control something that's out of your control. And I think for a long time, I'll just speak for myself. I've I've been dealing with diabetes for over 35 years now, and in the beginning, I used to feel very guilty because that was a word that was used quite often. You know, you've got to control this. Or, you know, you would tell people you had diabetes and they would say, well, that's something you can control, you know. And, you know, if you're the person receiving that or you're the patient and you're having difficulty managing or you're you're not quite sure what to do, it you, you do feel like, wow, wow, everybody's telling me I should control this, but I'm not really controlling it, so there must be something wrong with me. And I, I struggled with that for a long time. So I think more people are using the word manage now and even – I will correct them, and, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, how's your control? And I, and I will say to them, well, I'm managing better or, you know, um, it's hard to manage or, you know, it's easier to manage or whatever. Um, and I'll even uh, correct people, which took me a long time to get to that place, I'll tell you that. But oh, I, I, I think managing – oh, no, it did. It really did. It took me, like, I don't know how many years to, to be able to say to people – um, you know, uh, control is not really the, the 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 goal. Management is really the goal. And some days you manage better than others. And some days your body responds differently than others. And you just got to keep going, you know. I mean, I was told uh, to avoid the word control from the very beginning when I started Divabetic. And at that time, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, I had the opportunity with my mom and dad to work backstage on D-Life, they were filming episodes in New York, and one of the other words on this list was test. And instead of saying mm. test, they said check, like check your blood sugars. And D-Life would always have the audience saying check, don't test. I mean, it was just really interesting that that was drilled into my head so early that, you know, the word test implies good and bad or pass and fail Checking your blood glucose is simply a way to gather information to de uh, make decisions. I feel this plays right into this idea of control because if I said, uh, Lorraine, test your blood sugars right now versus Lorraine, why don't you check your blood sugars right now? It would make a difference, don't you think? 
Absolutely. And that, that also goes with that word cheating or sneaking or being good or bad, you know. Um, you feel as though if your blood sugar is a certain number and you're not happy with that or, you know, you've done something that, that caused it to be higher than you expected it to be, that you did something bad, you know, or you cheated or, you you know, you did something that you should not have done. So I think, yeah, the thing about testing does make you feel like um, if it's not a good number or not a number that you're that you are expecting that you're that you're that you're bad or that you 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 know you did something poorly and and that's so not it's not helpful to me um, so yeah I think it all goes hand in hand the the management the the wording about um, cheating and and instead calling it choices making decisions. Um, uh, even um, the word um, diabetic, as you, as this graphic points out, it's it's better to say person living with diabetes or person with diabetes because I don't want to be defined by this one thing about me that is just one thing about me, you know. Um, How, what do so you I think, say if I walked, if we were talking or we were involved in a real, we were going out on a first date or something because we're talking about couples and diabetes tonight? How would you? Uh, share your health with me? I would say I have diabetes. I would not say I would not say I'm diabetic. I would say I have diabetes. Um because that's just one thing about me. Uh, I also have, you know, two cars and I also have red shoes, you know, it's just one thing about me and it doesn't make me any different than anyone else. It's just something I have to I have to deal with. And um, I would say that, and I do say that to people when I, uh, you know, if, if if the occasion calls for it. And you've never taken me out on a date, by the way, Max. I, I just have to, you know. I took you out to lunch last year. Oh, yes, um, that, I'm sorry. And oh, we actually what? had a date at a comedy show once where we both performed, <laughs> I believe. You're oh, absolutely you. right. I apologize. Oh, my God. Are we having a breakup on the air right now, ladies and gentlemen? I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Well, we could get back to be- together if you read a poem to me. Okay, you got a deal. <laughs> You've got a deal. You just happened to have one too, I bet. I do indeed. You um, you asked me. You told me what you were going to be talking about on tonight's show, which is um, you know, how do you deal with your significant other, or how do you does your significant other deal with you? And um, I wrote a poem that's called "Live with Me, Love with Me." Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I cry at the day that I've had. Often I'm happy, but sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I fear the disease that I've got. Sometimes I need to eat. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes my meds will work. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes my mood is good, happy, and gay. Sometimes it's hard just to get through the day. It's hard to explain, and I don't have a clue as to why at some times I behave as I do. But trust me, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But this disease just doesn't give you a rest. So try to be gentle and do understand that I'm just trying to play all the cards in my hand. To manage is crucial, and I need support with planning and cooking and things of that sort. Help me to live with this and watch what I do and know that because you're my mate, I need you. We're both on this journey. We travel this road 
and we'll both appreciate the seeds that we've sowed. Partners in everything, shoulders to lean, all for each other, and no in-between. That's what I want, and I know you'll succeed in giving me all the support that I need. I, I immediately texted you and said, wow, when I read it today. <laughs> and I'm just curious, like, when you were working on this, did it bring up a lot of thoughts in your head about how your relationship affects your diabetes or how your diabetes affects your relationship or how the two work together? Um, I'm very fortunate to have a, a wonderful partner who also has diabetes. And so I don't have a lot of explaining to do in that way. Um, and... Uh, we're both very supportive of each other, and um, we're very much in tune with each other. And uh, we will even say to each other, you know, I got to stop this now. I got to eat, or could you get me some orange juice, or whatever the case may be. And and so it's a wonderful uh, support system that we both have. And yes, um, but I've not, you know, not always been in that situation. Or sometimes you're with people who don't understand. And still, there are people in the world who you say. You know, you might say, gee, I need to eat something, or, you know, I feel my blood sugar dropping, and people will say, oh, do you need more insulin? <laughs> you know, so people still, there's a lot of misunderstanding. But fortunately, I my significant other uh, is not one of those people. We we have a, a very um, supportive relationship around everything, but particularly diabetes. So I, I had a very positive um, feeling when I was writing that poem. I got a, a very positive feeling when I read it. So thank you so much thank for being you. on the show thank today you, Max. and exploring this topic with us because this is a new topic for us in nine years, and I, I'm I'm so glad, grateful that you could be a part of it and do that. I know a lot of people are going to look forward to reading that poem in our newsletter tomorrow as well as the blog. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I have to say that I did the thing with the roses this afternoon, and I'm very proud to have contributed to that charity as well. It's a wonderful thing. It is, and we'll be talking to the um, founder of Diabetes Podcast Week later on the show, Stacey Sims. So thank you, Lorraine. Now, you know, our country music superstar, Faith Hill, says our next track is all about how people interact and explores what it means to be honest while also respecting women. Here's Speak to a Girl, courtesy of Sony Music. She wants you to say what you mean and mean everything that you're saying. Talk to a woman. That's how you speak to a girl. That's how you get with the lady who's worth more than anything in your whole world. You better respect your mama. Respect the hell out of Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and that was the amazing Faith Hill. Tonight we're talking about couples and diabetes with inspiration from her new album, uh, The Rest of Our Life, with her real-life husband, Tim McGraw. You know, when you're married or in a committed relationship, the most important source of support usually is your spouse or partner. However, marital relationships can also be the greatest source of conflict and stress. 
Joining me to talk more about this topic is the lovely Janice Rossler. Hello, dear Janice. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hi, Max. First, Max, I have to say that poem by Lorraine was just superb. Actually, it was just lovely. So I, I, if she's listening, just I, I enjoyed it so much. I'm so into language. I do a lot of what we call narrative therapy, which is all about language. And I'm going to be talking about um, how language works between couples. So, so this is great. And, of course, Faith Helen Tim McGraw, one thing that they said in a song that you played a little while back was, let's go make a mess of the bed we made. So... I think that's a great great thing to think about for Valentine's Day is planning to make a great mess of the best of the bed you made and have a great time. <laughs> I love that. I love getting sexy with you, Janice. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like my high point of my year when you're on the podcast. <laughs> but you know, the the last song we just played though what really uh triggered something in my head that I wanted to kick off this conversation with and I cuz and it just happened as it was going on. So, um the, I wanted to get your feedback on how we speak about diabetes to a man versus how we speak about diabetes to a woman, because I would think it's different, not just, and I don't, I mean, we were talking earlier about from the healthcare perspective, but I mean, just in couples in general, when the wife has diabetes or the husband has diabetes, do you think there's a difference in, in how the language changes or what's your, what's your feeling on that? I really think people are individuals and, um, I think that it's important to ask your partner how they want you to talk about it um, and and really get to know their take on it. I, I would love to be able to categorize it as male and female, but I don't know if it falls in so simply. I think people are real individuals. And I know you spoke earlier about people who, you know, whether or not to call someone uh, a diabetic, and I know that's a no-no. And as far as uh, being a healthcare professional, we really try to steer away from that. But I've talked to a lot of people who said, "Hey, I call myself a diabetic. I know what the controversy is. I know that I, a lot of people say I have diabetes, but I am choosing to call myself a diabetic because, hey, that's how I—that's what I want to call myself." So I think we have to be sensitive uh, to people's preferences and let them choose what they want to say, what they want to do, how they feel, and how they want us to talk about diabetes to them. No, I agree. I mean, we have the word divabetic, which I think is a sign of empowerment. It's about living full and open. And um, <coughs> I'm having a coughing fit. I've been getting over. I didn't have the flu, everybody, but I did. I have this tickle, so I apologize, Janice. But I am excited to talk to you, so it's probably all coming up in my throat. Um, I, I just, I mean, in a relationship, I did want to ask you about this, about the language of how, you know, just to kick this off, um, about how people open up about their diabetes. But the one question I've always had burning in my heart, even before that, was why did you become a family therapist after being a registered uh, dietitian and certified educator? My feeling is that it had something to do with just seeing the dynamic of how the family affects your diabetes health. Exactly. What happened, I, I can tell you the exact story. I'd been a, a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator for, oh, my gosh, 25-plus years, and I I, I'd done, gradually done a lot more speaking and writing about how diabetes affected 
couples and affected family dynamics because there there just wasn't a lot out there. There were some, but not a lot. And I felt that it was time for me to go back to school and uh, get a master's degree in marriage and family therapist for the specific reason of enhancing what I was doing in the diabetes world. And what happened is that I fell in love with doing that type of therapy, which is very, very different than the type of interaction I would have in, um, in an exam room as a certified diabetes educator. It's totally different. Um, I love doing it where I did my internship. They loved me. They hired me. And now I do it, and it's totally separate. I don't see people for medical, for diabetes. Some have diabetes who I see, but my main thing is, is therapy to help them live the best lives they can and accomplish their goals. And now that's really kind of entered in the work I do with diabetes. As a matter of fact, last year I published a book um, uh, called Approaches to Behavior. I was the co-author of this book for healthcare professionals to help them manage uh, the emotions that their patients may uh, have during a regular session. So that's one thing that healthcare providers don't learn. What do you do when you give your patient some information and the patient begins to cry? They don't know what to do. So this book said what to do when your patient cries, gets angry, gets scared, how you can help work with them using different uh, tools that I have gained from being a therapist, and also what do you do with your own emotions? What do you do when a patient comes to you and you're the healthcare provider and you get upset? You get hurt. You get uh, sad. How can you move forward and bring your best self when your emotions are in the room also? So it's a book specifically for healthcare providers. So I guess the two, everything merged together. No, I love it. All right. So let's just get into this um, conversation. I mean, you're fascinating. I hope people go see to your website, <laughs> dearjanice.com, afterwards and see all the books you've published, including Sex and Diabetes. But uh, in, the, in this conversation, I want to start first about some of the do's and don'ts for engaging your spouse in diabetes care. So let's just pretend that Carol and Bob have been married for over 10 years. Bob goes to the doctor and finds out he's now living with diabetes. What are some of the things Carol should or should not do uh, to get involved in his care in a healthy way? Well, Carol, I assume, I hope, if their relationship's healthy, is going to want to help him. What she should not, what she should do, is ask what he needs. Just like I said before, ask how how the, your partner wants you to speak about diabetes. Ask what your partner needs. Don't assume, because uh, people who have any type of issue that they're dealing with may want to do certain things themselves, may want others to help them, may feel that help makes them feel incompetent or, or they're not ready for help or they want to try it themselves and see if they can do it. So don't just assume that your that, you know, Carol should not just assume that Bob wants her to run and get his blood glucose, you know, meter. Um, that would Maybe he wants to remember it himself, um, or she may say, well, I'm going to remind him when it's time to take it. Maybe he doesn't want her to remind him because that feels like he's being nagged, or maybe he does. Maybe he wants her to remind him to check his blood because that's a real help for him. So what I would tell Carol is 
don't assume what you think he needs. Ask and have that conversation. It offers a lot of respect when you do, and then you can really provide the help that, um, that he needs and wants. Okay, well, I remember when I used to do diabetic makeover your diabetes, I believe we were in the crystal ballroom in Dallas, uh, like 2008. Someone on this who's listening will probably write in and tell me the correct information. But, however, there was a, a couple in the, the makeover, and we had a maze of education stations, and the woman was walking around to all the education stations, and her husband was sitting in one of the chairs off to the side, and my assumption was that she had diabetes, and when I went to talk to her, she said, no, my husband does, but I'm the one getting all the information. Wow. I'm curious to know on that scenario, is she in the uh, – I, I mean, this is something obviously a couple has to work out, right? But there are a lot of people in in a relationship, a traditional marriage, who do feel like they take on ownership of their spouse's uh, diabetes. Again, it all starts with a conversation. May it is really important to learn about diabetes if when you're the when you're the partner uh, because your your partner your spouse is living with something that is now in your relationship so it's good to know all about it uh, the person the fact that you saw that gentleman sitting and she was running around getting information they may have agreed to that. He may have said, you know, you need, I, I appreciate that you want to learn more. I'll go. I don't really want to run around, but you go run around, and I will support you and keep you company. That may have been a wonderful conversation that they had prior to what you saw. On the other hand, it could also be a negative where she said, I'm dragging you here. You need to learn more, and if you're not getting off that seat, well, I'm going to get it and shove it down your throat. It, that conversation also could have happened, and then you have an unhealthy helping. Then you have where she's assuming what he needs, and she's grabbing it and getting it. So we don't really know, uh, unless we talk to the couple, where they're at, because the same action could be positive or, or it could be uh, show strain and, and be negative. But the conversation should take place. It needs to take place. And how do you address Fear. You brought that up right at the beginning a little bit about fear. I would think that would be, you know, when people hear diabetes, a lot of people are afraid. I mean, uh, specifically, a lot of a lot of people are diagnosed. Forty-five percent of all people diagnosed with diabetes, I believe, I read somewhere statistically, like uh, are are diagnosed in the emergency room. So I I would think that for on a that would put a strain on the couple. How do they discuss the fear? related to a diagnosis of diabetes? The best way to deal with fear is to get information because fear grows when there's a lack of information, when it's all about the unknown, when there's a lot of what if, what if, what if, and you don't have answers. So fear is certainly a big part of it because, um, as Lorraine mentioned, there's a lot of people who still don't know much about diabetes and think that you need more insulin when your blood sugar is going low. And that's why they say, oh, should you take a shot? You know. Um, so usually when diabetes enters a relationship, the people are, unless they've had family members with it, they're probably not that aware of what's going on. And what comes to their mind are all these horror stories about amputations and blindness and so on. When they get some education, they will learn that people who manage their diabetes well have an extremely low risk of developing complications. 
And that takes effort, but the hope is there. They're not inevitable. You will not definitely have a problem. If you manage it well, if you take care of your health, see your physician regularly, see your, work with your healthcare team, you can have a, an amazing life and you can have the same lifespan as other healthy individuals. As a matter of fact, you may be healthier because you're taking such good care of yourself while all your other friends are gaining weight and not exercising and, uh, you know, just really sitting on the couch and not moving. So fear, the best thing for fear is to accept that you're, this is new information, it's scary, any diagnosis is, is scary. Medical diagnosis, I, you know, they're frightening. Find out, get some information, and that can probably allay most of your fears and just keep learning and asking questions. Okay, well, later on the show we're going to have Jay who's the wife of Eric O'Gray, who wrote the book Walking with Petey, and they both have been very successful in their weight loss journey. But we both know that um, more times than not, people fail at their diet plans or their first ideas. So back to Bob and Carol. If Bob, you know, takes on making these major lifestyle changes, I'm going off of the um, infographic that we're not, we're not supposed to say that, but I'm going to say it because that's how we were just talking, how the general public talks about things differently. Anyhow, he's he makes these major changes and he can't stick to that regimen. And now he's back to, he's not only has he uh, gained back the initial weight he lost, he's put more on and he's discouraged about managing his diabetes at this point. How, what kind of advice do you give Carol? I'll tell you, if, if um, if Carol came to me, I would like to work with them as a couple, actually, <laughs> um, because I think that they can support each other. They just need more information about he, how each other feels. They need to learn to communicate their fears. If Carol's upset, which I'm guessing that she would be seeing her husband go from being healthier to all of a sudden being what appears to be back at the starting line, in, a, in an unhealthy place, um, I think it's appropriate for her to share that this frightens her and it comes from a place of love. She wants him to be there. They, she wants to celebrate her 50th anniversary with him. And he could then uh, verbalize his frustration and his struggle with how how hard it's been for him to maintain it and how he feels now that things have changed and, and, and slipped. And also they need medical information because it's not easy to maintain a weight loss. People who have been heavy for most of their lives have to work harder at maintaining a loss than people who were thin most of their lives, gain weight and then lost. Not fair, but it but it's more of a struggle. So I think it's a, a, a lot of communication, a lot of um, uh, kind of digging beyond that and, and reconnecting as a couple and trying to help them work together as a team for them both to stay healthy. Uh, certainly, I'm assuming if Carol is, you know, being a human being, she's got her own health concerns that she would love support with. So it's, it is frustrating, but it's not the end of everything. You know, it's really interesting. Um, they, there used to be a thing with, uh, with alcoholism. If you, if you start drinking again, they used to term you fell off the wagon. And now we know that it isn't a matter of falling off. 
and getting back where you were. If if Bob says, I would like to start again and grab my health and, and go for it, he has just become even stronger than he was before. It's not just a matter of getting back on the wagon and starting where you were and starting over. He gained a lot of information going through that entire process, and now he is better for it, and now the next time around he can do it differently because he's, he's gained insight. He may be more committed. So he may have grown a tremendous amount through the whole process. So that's what we want to tap into is what are his strengths, not what are his failures. What strength brought him back to start wanting to try again? That's what we want to I love that. That goes straight to the heart. I hope people who heard that uh, write that down because I think that was so important, what you just said. I think it could help a lot of our listeners. I want to end this uh, interview with Janice talking about hypoglycemia and stretching this beyond the relationship of just a traditional marriage to incorporate uh, brothers, sisters, uh, parents, and children. When when someone, uh, hypoglycemia can be upsetting for everyone involved, uh, especially uh, the partners who get scared or frustrated, especially if they're if the person experiencing it is angry, punches out, acts, you know, has a kind of sudden uh, act of violence, not crazy, but just, you know, uh, is so belligerent they can't, they're not thinking straight, obviously, so they do something that they might um, later regret or, and or the partner uh, might not realize what's truly going on and think they're um, making sense when they're not and take what they're doing as something much d- deeper than it actually is. So I'm wondering, like, how do you counsel people around that? Because I know there are a lot of people who put blame, you know, we were talking about this earlier with Lorraine about the language, but this this hypoglycemia seems to be something of a source of um, uh, frustration for a lot of relationships. Well, I I would suggest that couples take the take the notion of hypoglycemia and remove it from themselves. Hypoglycemia is not Bob. It's not another person. It is a a problem that enters into that person's moment, into that person's life, and prompts him or her to behave in ways that they would not normally want to. So it, Bob is not a bad guy because he, he, his blood glucose drops way low and he starts, you know, punching his fist through a wall. Hypoglycemia is, is prompting him to behave in, a, in that way. So what I recommend to couples is take hypoglycemia and give it a name. Give it a name. Call it George. Call it, you know, Harry. Call it Red. Call it Blue. Call it Susan. And when it starts coming, you say, listen, we need to, when things are fine, we need to create a plan about what to do to keep, uh, you know, Blackie away, if you're naming it Blackie or Red or Green. I don't know what name we'll give it. Fuzzy. Okay. So we'll call hypoglycemia fuzzy. We don't want fuzzy to enter the room. We don't want fuzzy to enter our lives, but you can't always help if fuzzy comes by. I know when fuzzy comes by and your blood and your blood glucose is dropping, you may behave in a way that you're not you don't want to. You may yell at me. You may start to act funny. Let's make a plan before fuzzy gets out of control. Well, let's make a plan so we give our best shot at keeping fuzzy away. When you name hypoglycemia, you put it outside of you. 
Bob is still a great guy. It's just when Fuzzy enters his world, he isn't himself. So when you separate it from the person, you see the person's a wonderful person, a terrific person, a healthy person, strong, has a lot of interests. You adore him, but Fuzzy makes him act in ways that are not okay. So when you separate it from the person, you can look at it and tackle it together as as a medical concern and talk about having snacks handy, talk about when you should warn, you know, if should you say, hey, you're looking, I, I, I get a sense you're slowing down, you're starting to slow your words, maybe you should check your blood sugar and here's, here's some juice on hand, I'm ready for you. Make a plan what to do if things start to, if fuzzy starts to enter the situation. And that way you work together against fuzzy. And that way you don't blame each other. You just work at it as an issue you have to live with. Great advice, Janice Rosler. Check out Janice's site, DearJanice.com. You've got so much great information, uh, several wonderful books that I've handed out throughout the years at DivaBetic. I'm going to have to post all about Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance, that podcast where we talked about the intimate side of relationships with you on uh, previous years and uh We'll have to have you back again this year to talk more about this. What a great conversation. Thank you, Janice. Oh, thanks, Max. Happy Valentine's Day to you and, and all of your listeners. And I do have to get off now, but I am going to go immediately to your site and contribute some roses. Spare a rose, save a child. We're going to have Stacey Simmons coming up in a little while. But first, before that, we're, last month we met Eric O'Grey, the author of Walking with Petey. Tonight we're going to meet his better half. But first, there's another song from Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. This one's called Telluride, which is one of the more lively tracks off the album. And guess what? It's probably the most engaging showcase of how these two voices blend together seamlessly. These two are married in real life, but they also perform together on the Soul to Soul tour all year long. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. Here it is from courtesy of Sony Music. It don't matter as long as we're together, it all feels like home. Don't matter, no, it don't matter as long as we're together, it all feels like home. It's a great album, everybody. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm playing Faith Hill and Tim McGraw all night long, talking about couples and diabetes. Right now, it's time to meet Jay O'Gray and hear about her fabulous weight loss story sparked by the relationship with her husband. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hi, Jay. Hi, Max. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. This is the first time we've had back-to-back husband and wife. I thought it was perfect. With We're playing husband and wife's music, and now we had your husband last month. This month we have you on the show. Yeah, it's awesome. My pleasure. Well, I, before we get talking about your health, I want to talk about the romance because this is our Valentine's Day show. Um, tell us a little bit about your love story with Eric. Okay, so we were high school loves um, from 15 to 17, and we just got along famously, never fought, and he went in the Army, and we lost touch after that and tried to look for each other throughout the years. We both always thought of each other, and when his um, short little video went viral uh, in 2016, 
I saw it and contacted him, and after 40 years, we were reunited, and we were reunited in September of 2016, and by December, we were married, because we just knew we should have always been together, so, yeah, we call it our 40 years of wandering. No, we were not. We we call it our 40 years of wandering in the desert, the two of us, and we, we finally made it back together. I was at the time in Nevada, and he was in um, Washington in Spokane. And I'm just curious, like, how did that initial conversation go? You, I mean, you have you've mentioned <laughs> on the podcast I um, that Eric did on his website that you guys never fought in your high school relationship. So, I mean, it 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 didn't end badly in high school, did it? It just was it just uh, kind of you no. apart. No, absolutely not. No, he actually wrote me like a, a dear Jill letter from from Germany when he was in the army, and, and you know we were young, so he needed to go do his thing, and and I understood. And, but as soon okay, as we so got back together, we knew. We just knew. Now this had to be interesting though, because when you saw that viral video you're talking about, it kind of tells a story about how Petey, a shelter dog, kind of helped transform Eric's life. At the before he adopted that dog, he was like 150 pounds overweight, living with type 2 diabetes, and had um, because of the dog began an exercise program and ended up. Um, becoming a vegetarian, changing his whole lifestyle, and running marathons after being inactive for so many years. What was going on with your health when you met him at that moment? So, right, when we contacted each other, I had actually just been to the doctor a few months before, and I uh, was diagnosed. She said I was just above borderline diabetic, and I was would get dizzy a lot at work. I'd tell coworkers, you know, please check on me in a little while because, you know, I just am feeling off today. I always had a really hard time going to sleep at night saying, please, God, just give me one more day because I never, ever felt really good. I was 197 pounds um, at the time when I got back with Eric, and I told him flat out, I sent him a picture and said, you need a trophy wife because you're out there, you know, doing all this fantastic stuff and he promised me just come live with me and I'll get you back down to your high school weight and you'll feel fantastic and boy was he right and so what how did he do that let's talk a little bit about that so when I got back together with him I walked Jake for half an hour twice a day and um, we lead a vegan plant-based lifestyle and so with the food and the, the exercise of walking Jake, I took off all the weight. Right. And you said on Megan Kelly how the, 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 you've lost over 70 pounds, and when it came to the exercise component of this transformation, it was virtually walking the dog 30 minutes a day. That was the, That's the main. That's correct. Okay, yeah, so it was you, like 80 pounds. You were pounds. quite a cook. So you you were catering uh, your daughter's wedding, I believe, and you were also at that point when you first met him, you had been eating a lot of meat. So I'm just starting a relationship with my high school sweetheart again and making this lifestyle change seems a little complicated to me. I just want to know how quickly you were able to adjust this kind of new lifestyle because we met Eric last month. He's so gung-ho and so enthusiastic. I just, I'm just curious how that whole dynamic worked. 
Well, he is enthusiastic and gung-ho, and that's what makes it so easy. I Yes, I did both of my daughter-in-law's weddings, and I thought I could cook, but I used a lot of butter and cream and, and dairy and meat and, you know, prime ribs for dinners and things like that. Um, but the truth of it is I started feeling so good. How could I ever possibly go back to that other lifestyle when I feel so good now? My energy level, just everything, I, I I can't even describe how good I feel. He says it's like being on the best drip drug, you know, and that truly, I feel so good now. There's no way I would go back to that lifestyle. And anything that I totally feel like having, I figure out how to make it, you know, plant-based. So I know I, I love have that. no problem you with like that. like cheese and bacon. So I know a lot of people out there are listening <laughs> to this and rolling their eyes. So, Jay... Uh, what would you say about I, how would you eat bacon? To, I mean, what would you do as an alternative to bacon I actually, today? I actually made bacon the other day um, with um, eggplant and just sliced it up and glazed it with some uh, tamari and some um, maple syrup and uh, oh my gosh, like toasted sesame seed oil. And then just you brush it on. And you just bake it for about 45 minutes until it gets, like, gooey, crispy, like a maple bacon. It was delicious. Yeah, so, you know, I wanted tuna, so I figured out how to make tuna. I wanted um, Thousand Island dressing. I figured out how to make that. So I just kind of Google it and play around in the kitchen and and in figuring things out. I made the best meatloaf the other night. I didn't think I'd ever have a meatloaf again, but it was and really just awesome. And what meatloaf when you're not eating meat? So um, you can make it with a lentil loaf, but I actually found there's a, a new company out. I don't know, called Beyond Beef, and they okay. they sell um, hamburger patties. It's made with pea protein and things like that. And I took a bunch of the patties and then added what I would normally add in a regular meatloaf: shredded carrots and breadcrumbs, and I, I flax eggs and molded it all together and put it in the oven. And I swear you wouldn't know it wasn't real meat. And so um, I know, like, Eric never cooked before he started his whole transformation, but you did cook. So, I'm, like, do you guys cook together in the kitchen now? It seems like you take a lot of lead on these meals um, from what I heard on the podcast that you did with your husband. I uh, I do most of the cooking now, yes. Um, we moved into this lovely house now, and he does cook you know maybe every other week I'll say you know why don't you do something because I'm still learning I truly felt like a new housewife I did not know how to cook vegan so I truly am was just learning and felt yeah like a brand new housewife so he has taught me a lot and let me experiment a lot and is 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 very kind in letting I, I try and told my daughter-in-law who's now going vegan also you know I always have a backup you know I I would experiment with with things but I knew I always had something to feed him if if the recipe went wrong so I just like to play around no I love this so I just want to go back and reiterate back in 2015 before you met Eric reunited with Eric you were having your a1c was at a pre-diabetes rate your cholesterol was not good and you went to Horrible. see your doc, you know, when you went to that doctor. And then after being with Eric for uh, two years, you went back to the um, doctor 
December right? of 20, yeah, December of 2016 is when we got married. September, the first week of September of 2016 is when I went totally vegan. And I have to say, I have a sister that's older than I am. Um, she is almost blind. She doesn't walk anymore. And it is, she's on insulin, and it's totally because she is not watching her diet or taking care of herself. My mother, on the other hand, is 94. She has also been diabetic for years and years and years, but she um, controls hers or manages hers, however you want to say it, um, through eating and exercise. She's 94, and two years ago we walked across the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge together. So she walks constantly and watches what she eats. So I am a true believer that, you know, what we eat does matter, and exercise, of course, is very important. But just walking, nothing. I don't run like Eric does. No way. I know, and you, I mean, he has been an, he has been an incredible supporter of yours and super encouraging i'm just curious like what you would say to someone like your sister who might have tried to do some things and failed who really has a hard time thinking about ever giving up meat or dairy and you know when they hear this they're they're just you know they want to make a change in their life they just are so hesitant like what would you say to encourage someone out there well, my daughter-in-law and and my son, I am really helping them now. She, my daughter-in-law, came and spent four days with me, and and Eric, you know, learning how to make the smoothies in the morning, and and it's um, try it, try it for a couple of weeks, and you will start to feel so much better. And get out there and walk. You have to get up out of bed, get out there and walk you know, at least twice a day, just a half an hour. And if you could just try try it for a month, you will feel so much better you'd never want to go back. And that's what's happening with my daughter-in-law now. So, No, I think it's fantastic. All right, let's talk a little bit about your husband, the celebrity, because he got a uh, – what is it like to have a husband who had Bill Clinton endorse him on Twitter, and what was it like to go on Megyn Kelly? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah, right now he's out with a film crew from, from England. He's doing a public service announcement. So yesterday and today I had all these cameramen in, in the house, and it's been crazy. But we're very, very grateful, and we're very, very humble, and and we just we can't get over it. And we, we just are grateful that we're helping people, like, every day. It just makes me cry that every day he gets so many people saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you, you had got me up out of bed to walk or, um, I, you know, I went plant-based and I feel so much better. Or, you know, a lot of it is the adopting the shelter dogs and, and saving animals. And, and just I'm just so proud of what he has accomplished and what he's done. And were you an animal and, lover before you uh, reunited with Eric? I, I always had a dog. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't yeah. like a yeah. big jump because Petey, who died, there's now Jake is a, new, is a new dog in your lives. I was just wondering like what that was like if you were an animal lover or not because it seems like he's such a big part of your lives. 
Oh, Jake is definitely a big part of our lives. Yes, yes. And I am an animal lover. Yes. It's, he follows me all around the house because he knows I'm the treat giver. So, yeah. So, yeah, we all get right, along. Well, I know Eric posted a before and after shot. So, in closing, tell us again where you started, how much weight you lost, and everyone always wants to know about the dress size because it is kind of phenomenal <laughs> from what I heard. So, tell us a little bit about your success one more time, Jay, before as we wrap this up. So I was 197 in September of 2016, and then I, I believe it was about May. I got I'm at 115 now, and it, it took me about seven eight months. And I went from about an 1820 dress size down to a zero or a two, usually usually a two. So and your cholesterol yeah, and A1C. All those, all those oh, results before that, you went back to your doctor with Eric recently, and what did you find out? And he was just amazing. The doctor says he is looking into going vegan because we are just so healthy. He cannot believe it. We had to go for Eric's work for a yearly physical, and he just he just can't get over how healthy we are. Our hearts, our cholesterol, our, our A1Cs, everything. And, and I go to bed dreaming happy thoughts of what's next instead of God, please give me one more day. It's just absolutely incredible. I, I think so too, but I, what I think it's so incredible is like you make it, you make people realize that it is possible. And I think that gives people hope. And I just admire that so much in both of you. And we should tell everyone again, <laughs> excuse me. The name of the book is the dog who saved my life walking with Beatty. It's Eric uh, O'Gray and uh, you guys have a website as well. And do both of you do emails now, Jay? I mean, I'm sure you have your legion of fans as well. I'm one of them. So uh, how do we oh, find out awesome. more about you? Thank you. Um, I, I do have an email. It's 123-J-A-Y-E-123 at gmail.com. He is the, the computer guy and everything. But anybody that wants to write and ask me a question, I have no problem with that at all. He's the celebrity. And you'll share that weight. Will you send me that um, bacon with eggplant recipe? I think people would love to see that. Sure, sure. All right. Well, I hope you like country music because Tim McGraw sings bluegrass-like lyrics with Arena Ready Contemporary Rock Productions on her next song, The Devil Calling Me Back, courtesy of Sony Music. No rest for the wicked. No peace till kingdom come She a woman on a mission And I march to the beat of her drum She calls in the dark Like a whistle in the train yard And I fall apart I just can't help myself When I hear the devil calling me back I hear the devil calling me back home Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. And tonight, along with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, I am raising awareness for the Spare Rose Save a Child charity, all part of Diabetes Podcast Week, thanks to one amazing woman who's our guest tonight on the show. Please welcome Stacy Sims. Hi, Stacy. Hey, thanks for having me on. 
<laughs> Thank you for joining us. I, last minute, you uh, are Patricia Addy Gentle, who everyone loves on this show, uh, had laryngitis, but so she couldn't do it, and you agreed to come on. And I, I'm really excited because this is the this diabetes podcast week is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you wanted this year to kind of bridge the different podcasts together. So it's great to have you be a, a guest on our show tonight. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you asking. Thanks for having me on. And, and yeah, it's the third year for Diabetes Podcast Week. You've been there from the start. Thank you so much. I love it. Well, you know, this was your brainchild. And if I, I've been doing a little research in the short time I had to get ready for tonight, it all kind of popped out of a, uh, popped into your head from a magazine article where it listed a lot of different uh, diabetes podcasts. Talk a little bit about the uh, where the idea came from in Diabetes Mind. Sure. Sure. I started my podcast in the summer of 2015, and I knew there were other podcasts out there. And, you know, when I was doing my research, I found yours. I found a couple of other podcasts. But Diabetes Mind covered what they called a resurgence of diabetes podcasts, and there were many more than I thought. And I was reading the article, and I wanted to do something charitable with my show. And I thought, well, why not get everybody together? Because I'm sure you know, I mean, it's difficult sometimes to explain to people even still what a podcast is. I get people all the time, I'll go to a diabetes conference and someone will say, oh, I want to watch your podcast, but I'm not sure how to pick it up, you know, or something like that. And you just have to explain, no, look, here's your phone, here's how you do it. So I wanted to raise awareness for the podcast, which I think make a huge difference in our community. And I also wanted to tie that to a charity. And by doing it in February, right around Valentine's Day, it very naturally tied in with the Spear Arose campaign, which helps people in underdeveloped countries get better access to insulin for their children. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about price and access in this country, and it is a problem. But, you know, when you're talking about areas where they have to walk miles and miles to see a doctor who may or may not have insulin, they don't have their own meters you know, that kind of thing. It's a completely different story, and it, it doesn't right. take We're much to help. Right, we're talking about basics here. We're, you know, we are talking yeah. about yeah. very yeah. basics. You know, it's amazing to me. I, I think it's such a – I just applaud you because I think it's such an amazing concept, and I think it's a wonderful charity, and I, I hope everyone listening takes a minute to go to um, – Sparrows Save a Child, I'll save the website again in a minute to donate. I know I posted it on my social media, and I'm sure it's on yours at diabetes-connections.com. Um, but this sure. is personal, too, because children with diabetes are close to your your heart. You have a son who I believe was diagnosed with type uh, 1 diabetes back in 2006. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience being a mom of a son with diabetes? Sure. Um, it's crazy. He was diagnosed right before he turned two, um, and I was a radio show host at the time. I hosted um, a morning news show here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we uh, we had no idea really what type one meant. He was so tiny, he really couldn't articulate things well, so we just knew he was sick. And luckily, my pediatrician said, bring him in, it's classic type one diabetes signs, but we'll rule it out, he's too little. And, of course, they wound up ruling it in, and, and our lives completely changed. And I bring up the radio show because it wasn't the kind of thing where we could talk about our personal lives. You know, there's a lot of wacky morning shows where you learn a lot about the people, but we were news, weather, and traffic. But my listeners wanted to know more about diabetes, so I started a blog. 
And that became a way for me to communicate with my listeners and kind of educate them and, and share in our journey. And as my son got older, it became more for me to have an outlet to you know, work through a lot of the stress and, and difficulty that comes with, okay, I have a preschooler. Now we've, we've learned this. Okay, well, now I have a kindergartner who's going to be more independent. You know, how do I deal with that? And now my son is 13 years old and he's in seventh grade. And it's very different than it used to be. He wants a lot more independence and I got to give him more responsibility. And the blog became the podcast, which has, I think, I don't know how it is with your show, Max, but it helps me, I think, more than anybody else. It's very selfish that way. <laughs> Well, I want to ask you like that. Do you uh, like what are? Um, I want to get to that in a minute, but I want to just go back about being a mom of a child sure. with type one because the school system plays a big role in this. And I would, yeah. think, you know, your son is now a teenager, so you, like you said, you went from preschool to kindergarten to grade school, and now you're in middle school. How uh, we we have spoken to best-selling author Brenda um, Novak about this. This is what kind of inspired her to get into writing because she wanted to be home mm. with her son. How, how have you found navigating the school policies with your son's um, diabetes health? Well, I'll tell you what. We were very lucky, but I'm also um, – I'm, I'm not afraid to be an advocate for my son. So the overall picture I'll give you is that we had a lot of success, but it took a lot of work. Um, first thing to remember is he was so little, but I was working. And my husband was working, and I was the one with health insurance. My husband owned his own business. He owned a restaurant, which was a totally different story, but very, very busy. So we decided to put my son back in daycare. I have a daughter as well. She's three years older than, than Benny, and they were both in daycare at the time. And amazingly, there was someone at this daycare center who was willing to learn and had a little bit of a background in, as a medic, but you know, we had to teach them. And we were teaching ourselves, so I figured, okay, we'll all learn together. They did an amazing job, and by kindergarten, my son could use his pump, check his blood sugar, you know, all with supervision. Couldn't count carbs that well, but he knew the drill. So in kindergarten, we went to the school, and, you know, we had to really be an advocate and train everybody and talk about it. We also live in North Carolina, and the law here is that the parents get to tell the school how the care will happen. My child can treat and test anywhere. A nurse does not have to administer insulin, that sort of thing. We are... And I know some people listening might be thinking, oh, that's horrible. You know, you want a nurse. You don't. You don't. You want the child to stay in class. You want them to be able to do as much as they can with supervision and not miss school and not be running around the school trying to get stuff done. So we had a teacher who would help him and a teacher who would kind of look over his lunch, right, to help him count carbs. I would also send in a lunch with carb counting. And every year we would try to advance things. I mean, I jokingly said, okay, it's kindergarten. The goal is stay alive. Right, don't, all right, this is how we're going to do it. First grade was you get to eat in the lunchroom once a week because that was difficult managing the carbs. Second grade was you get to, I, I don't even remember, Max, to be honest with you, but every year we did something. And by fourth grade, you did not have to check in with the nurse or your teacher unless you didn't feel good, you know, something was going on. And that worked, interestingly, that worked great for fourth grade and most of fifth grade and fell apart in sixth grade. Something happens to kids' brains there's this golden age between six and 10, I think, with diabetes where they're, they want to succeed and they're, oh, we're walking for a cure and we're doing, and then in middle school, it's like, we shut down, right? We don't want the extra attention. And man, he, he, uh, he went through some tough stuff in sixth grade and we had to redo our system. And now he doesn't check in with teachers, but I check in with him once a day via text. And that's worked And how do you relate so to the other mothers? 
How do you like with play dates and stuff? How did you relate to the other mothers? I mean, was I'm sorry, was your son's name Benny or Benji? I, I didn't yeah, quite question. Yeah, it's Benjamin, but we call, we call him Benny. Okay, so how how did it, how did you relate to all of that? It's a, you know, it's a funny question because um, originally, you know, it, when you're that little, you're going anyway. Really, in this neighborhood, until about ages five, six, you're not, you know, dropping your kid off. You're staying. So that was easy at first, and everybody knew because he was so little. And we have a very friendly neighborhood with sidewalks and kids riding bikes, so people knew that the drill. But when he was old enough to go by himself, I would explain. Most of the parents knew, but I would explain. And you know, I, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but. It's a play date. He's only going to be gone for an hour, maybe two. So I don't. I didn't feel like I need to educate everybody. I never brought glucagon over. I mean, it, it was very, uh, you know. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't want people to think I don't care. I don't. You know, I'm not careful about my son. But he didn't need it. But I'll tell you, it was great. I would have him call me if they were going to eat anything, and I would say, right, do you have a snack or what's this? And we would kind of go through how to go into the pump because I didn't expect another mother to be trained on his equipment. So I found out what everybody in my neighborhood serves for after-school snacks, which was great because people are giving their kids donuts and pizza. And, I mean, you're like, what are you, Pop-Tarts? You know, we're not – I mean, I'm not like your last guest. We're not vegan and we, right. we're not plant-based. But we don't have a lot of Pop-Tarts and donuts after school. So he enjoyed learning the na- – we had one neighborhood, oatmeal sandwich cookies, like those cream-filled oatmeal sandwiches. He loved that house. So we uh, – we did it that way, but it was hard to let him really go play outside independently. You know, the kids play football and that sort of thing. And I, I finally just had to give up the ghost when he was about seven because you can't have your mom following you down the street. You know, that's just not going to work. So we worked out our own systems. He didn't have a cell phone at the time. He would just kind of check in with me or he knew that he could check in with neighbors. And if he felt low, he would knock on a neighbor's door. And we're very fortunate that way. But I made him carry a pack. You know, when he had his bike, he always had stuff in his basket but, you know, he learned what he needed to do, and his friends looked out for him, too. So knock on wood, we've, we've been pretty lucky so far. No, I love it. I, I mean, I think you're just so natural. It, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. And if Jay's uh, – <laughs> I know Jay's listening. I think you're inspiring her and Eric to write a children's plant-based uh, cookbook, maybe, and they'll join the diabetes oh, podcast next year. Eric Morris, I you want to try that, too. Uh, before we get back to Sparrow Save a Child, I have one more question because you—I know you are a veteran TV anchor as well as a <laughs> AM radio uh, personality. Health headlines in the media are fake news a lot of the times. I'm just curious, like, what advice do you give people listening who you know follow these kind of headlines? And I've heard several—I heard a couple of interviews with you talking about just how. Things have changed over the course of your own career with the um, the advent of opinionated news. And I think, like, you know, we talk a lot about it from a political standpoint. We don't really focus on what it's doing to the with the health issues and the health headlines. And I'm curious to get your, your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the number one thing is obviously do your own research. If you see a headline or you see a study, go deeper. Don't Don't buy the headline. Um, because there's a study every day. Coffee's good for you. Coffee's bad for you. Eggs are going to kill you. Eggs are great for you. You know, go in and, and do a little deeper dive into what that study is all about. But I truly think the biggest thing that has changed since I started in radio and TV, and I, I started my, my first job was in 1993, and I was in TV for 10 years and radio, you know, more than that. And back in the old days. Can we just days, say it was in upstate New York? Because I'm from upstate New York. So you started yeah, up in upstate oh, New York? My first job was in Utica. Thank and that's you. where I met okay. my husband. 
Yeah, and then I moved to Syracuse. And it was I went to Syracuse University. Syracuse. Me too. We're going to have to connect offline to find <laughs> out when and where. <laughs> That's great. But but what's really changed is it was not legal before, I want to say 1998. It might be a, a different year. It was not legal to advertise medication on television or anywhere. So, you know, all those ads for medications you see and all that money spent on advertising and marketing – that was not around. It did not exist. The FDA approved advertising in that way in the 90s. And I think that almost more than anything else has changed so much of how we react to health news, what we look for, what we're asking our doctors about. I, you know, the jury's out. Is it good? Is it bad? Because maybe there's more awareness of conditions and medication for it. But at the same time, I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. And I remember doctors telling me at the time that this is going to be terrible because, you know, people aren't educated enough. And I I don't know if I buy that, but it certainly has changed things. And it's something we forget that it was not always the case, this, all this advertising. No, I agree with you. I I think that's an, that's a really interesting insight because I do think that, um, you know, I remember when that started happening and people started wanting the brand over the generic because they kept hearing about certain brand names. And so they thought they had to have it because it was the best. And then I also think that people have done more research because we've all become much more familiar with the side effects and we want to go and check out what the side effects are. And, you know, I think that whole thing kind of also is why we have a Dr. Oz, you know, because so many people today <laughs> are, are interested in it from an entertainment standpoint as well. So it is kind of fascinating how it keeps changing. But I just think like, you know, what you just said about navigating and doing the research is so important, especially in this diabetes community where there's so much chaos and contradictory information on all sides of the equation. And I think, like, you know, that's the only way you could really navigate. And I would think going back to your own experience of being a mother of a child with diabetes, that chaos could really wreck you when you're trying to really save, your, <laughs> save a child. <laughs> I can tell you stories. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have, I've always had um, a kind of an optimistic, you know, glass half full attitude in my life. Um, and I think that served me very well when we got this diagnosis. Um, but it's, it has been, I use a lot of humor to deal with it. I hope I've given him a lot of humor to deal with it. But, you know, it is, as you know, it is not easy. And he has a lot of challenges just from dealing with type one. He does very well. It hasn't stopped him from doing anything. You know, he's at, uh, he's at a theater class tonight. He's big into acting now. And he took, he takes golf lessons in the fall. He played football for the first time. He's been in sports forever. He goes to regular sleepaway camp as well as diabetes camp, but it definitely slows you down. And it definitely changes your life. And to say otherwise, you know, is, is ridiculous. So every once in a while, we step back and pat ourselves on the back a little bit. But day to day, I just kind of am glad that we've been able to make diabetes part of our routine. Um, you know, it's, it's never perfect. I'm not one of those people who will tell you that we're all about straight lines and, um, you know, and, and perfect A1Cs. Far from it. But, um, but life is good. And I think you've got to look at the whole picture. I just want to be raising, I want to raise two happy, healthy kids. I think I think you're independent and I love the idea of Diabetes (laughs) Podcast Week because you're uniting all of us together around a cause, and I believe that in my heart too. With my podcast, it's about building bridges. So I'm going to let Stacy Sims tell us what Sparrow Save a Child is and uh, why it's so important that everyone should be donating to this tonight, as well as through the rest of the week. So tell us again with um, uh, tell everyone about Sparrow Save a Child. 
You got it. Well, the idea here, if you're wondering why spare a rose, the idea is that you buy one less rose for Valentine's Day, and then you donate the value of that flower to a child. And that's really all it takes. You know, obviously, if you've got more money, you know, you give what you can. But you look, we're all strapped. If you're dealing with a chronic condition, there's not a lot of money to go around. We get it. But it doesn't take much to help these kids. If you can donate to Life for a Child USA, and I know Max is going to link it all up, this is a terrific group that does this year-round. They have taken this money and turned it into support for more than 18,000 young people in 42 different countries. Um, you know, there's, there's not, the need is not met. There's a lot more to be done. But, I mean, they're talking about a $5 donation is what we're, you know, one rose is $5. I donate every year um, for 12 roses, and I spread it out over the year. So you can do that. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, and then you can see the pictures and the stories online of the kids that have gotten help, the parents that are so excited that they have a meter now. Can you imagine doing type 1 diabetes without a meter or, or any type of diabetes? This is, you know, a, a thing that keeps kids home from school uh, at, at the very least, and it can take their lives, as we know. So this is a very simple way for you to make a real, real difference. And Life for a Child is a terrific organization. It's a reputable organization. And Sparrow Rose is something that was started not by me by any means. It was started by a bunch of people in the diabetes online community who wanted to show that we really can make a difference when we work together. And that's one of the things I'm hoping to share with Diabetes Podcast Week because in addition to the charity, Max, you know, your podcast speaks to someone, my podcast speaks to someone in a different way, and the other 13 or so shows that we have involved may speak to people in, in ways that they need. So it's all about finding the show that works for you, finding the person that speaks to you, and getting the help and the community and the smile or whatever it is that you need from that show. So I hope that that's a good explanation, and if you can, I'd, I'd really urge you to give. It, it's a great cause. I absolutely agree, and I hope everyone does take a minute to donate to the Sarah Rose Save a Child uh, charities, and we'll be posting that link on uh, all my social media over the next few days. So thank you again, Stacey Sims, for being on the show, and thank you for everything you do. You are making a huge difference. So are you, Max. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I love Faith Hill, so i got one more song coming up from Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. She has sold more than 40 million albums worldwide, and she's won 15 Academy of Country Awards, six American Music Awards. Here's Love Me to, uh, love me to Lie, courtesy of Sony Music. Wide awake at night, knowing it ain't right. We both realize it might be over. Kills my heart to know you gon' have to go while you break it slow. Just let me hold you, cause I know you must really love me to lie to me. Must really love me to lie to me. Must really love me to lie, lie to me. You make love. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. It's time to welcome back my favorite guest, my last guest of the evening. Please welcome back to the show, Mama Rosemarie. Hi, Mama Rosemarie. Hi, everybody. 
Welcome Hi. back to the show, and happy Valentine's nice Day to, to you. Yeah. Yes, thank you, and thank to all your listeners. Um, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. I heard that you've fallen in love with a new product called an iWatch, and I would I would think a lot of the silver foxes out there would be surprised that you could be so techy savvy with your new uh, your new device. How much do you like your iWatch, and why do you like it? <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I could go anywhere and still be in touch with everybody, which I'm, I'm not like on the phone all the time, so that's a different story. I just know that if I need somebody, I have this um, watch, and I could contact them immediately. So it's good for me um, right now. It's very important for me to have something where I could reach people. Uh, if I need to, and that's why I love it. And you also get you up and moving, right? Doesn't it tell you when to get it up sure and moving? It sure does. It tells me. It tells me when to stand up. You've been sitting too long. Stand up. So I get a kick out of that too. And today I was playing bridge and showing off my eye watch to everybody, and calling it my Dick Tracy watch because I could talk into it, and they all got a kick out of it. I think the um, store is bombarded by uh, my bridge partners they all loved it <laughs> yeah i think I, I mean it sounds like a great device i'm so glad you like it and it is a great way for family members to stay in touch with each other so uh in mm-hmm. honor of valentine's day mom we were just talking to stacy sims about sparrow rose what's your tip yes yeah well, we are encouraging everyone to buy one less rose on valentine's day and and, and instead supporting that uh, spare a rose, save a child cause. I loved her idea of buying, donating enough that would be one rose every month. That really sounds like a good idea um, to send in um, whatever you would buy for a dozen of roses tomorrow and just put in that donation and make it the one rose every month. So that's great. But I also like to tell a few people how they could help with if they get a bouquet of roses for Valentine's Day, um, they could easily make a smaller bouquet if they want to if because of the one rose, or they could just have a nice big bouquet. And what you would do is prepare, prepare a clean vase that suits the size of your rose bouquet while holding your roses under running tap water or distilled standing water Cut one inch off the bottom of each stem. And please remember, roses are very thirsty. Make sure your vase never runs low. Or if they are in a foam oasis with a nice arrangement, make sure the foam is always dripping wet. Nice and moist. Keep it nice and moist. So uh, with this tip, I'd like to uh, say happy Valentine's Day to all your listeners. All right. Thanks, Mom, for being on the show. We love having you back. You're welcome. I enjoy being back. Thank you. What's your favorite number from 1 to 50? Me, Mama Rosemary? Yeah. My favorite number is 7. Okay, hold on to 7 for a minute. It's time for our monthly instant winner winner health quiz. In the spirit of Go Red, we posted this question. Sudden cardiac means that the heart is A, stop beating, B, the heart beats dangerously slow, C, has a cycle beating and stopping, or D, Skips beats. When the question was sudden cardiac arrest means that the heart 
has, the answer is suddenly stop beating. It's referred to a sudden cardiac arrest. Sudden cardiac arrest stops the blood from flowing to vital organs, including the brain. You picked the number seven, Mom, which means our instant winner for tonight is Michelle Eisner. Michelle, if you're listening, which we hope you are, for helping us take awareness tonight, you're going to receive a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic safe, low glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, as well as Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot and hand body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. Now, I want to take a minute to remind all our listeners to tune in to us next month when we'll be coming to you live again on Tuesday, March 13th. Plus, we've got our annual tribute podcast to Luther happening on March 20th. You can get all that information and more at our Divabetic e-newsletter and visit our Divabetic Facebook page for daily inspiration and check out all my videos on Mr. YouTube's channel. We're going to close the show with another Tim McGraw and Faith Hill song. But first, I want to remind you that everyone has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. Here's the Rest of Our Life by Tim, Hill, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, courtesy of Sony Music. Have a good night, everybody. Sitting with you in a dark room Warm by a fireplace You know there's just something about you You brighten my day I got something to run past you I just hope I say it right So I take your hand and ask you Have you made plans? 